you're tuned in to another episode of the 3-in-1 Podcast. Joining us from Cleveland, Ohio, give it up for international Ian Lamont Morgan. What's going on? That sounds like a horrible horror movie right there. Uh, <laughs> it was crowd check. <laughs> Joining us from Cincinnati, Ohio, the Nasty Natty. Give it up for Keith Turner Jr. MVP, MVP. Is that LeBron? <laughs> Is it Harden? <laughs> Not sure. And of course, Jordan, you from the capital city. It's your boy, Malcolm Morgan. Round of applause to me. Um, we have an exciting show planned for you guys. We got a lot to talk about, a lot of NBA playoffs. We're going to talk a little bit of NFL draft. And of course, look forward to our parting words today, which I'm sure will be exciting as always. So let's get started with the playoffs. Um, as we stand right now at on Tuesday evening, the Cap- the Cleveland Cavaliers took out the Toronto Raptors in game one. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this game and a little bit about the series as a whole. Keith, let's start with you. How'd you feel about the Cavs' performance tonight? What do you think were the keys to them pulling out the victory on the road? Uh, let me let me say this. I, I, I picked up the game uh, mid-second quarter and watched it all the way through. Um, and uh, as they were playing, I looked at some stats as they um, played Toronto uh, the last two games before the playoffs, and some staggering numbers alarmed me. Um, but first off, let me just say this. Uh, the Cavs looked uh, pretty good today. Um, outside of a few minutes where they settled for jump shots, you know, I hate when LeBron just starts thinking that he – he has like an offensive game like Kevin Durant. Um, instead of like just driving, he just starts pulling up, jacking up mid-range and threes. In spite of that, the Cavs looked well. They moved the ball really well. Um, but here's here's the stats for you. In order for the Cavs to really win this series, there's two things that well, three things. First off, they have to win the three-point shooting margin convincingly. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, when they won the last two games. Uh, in the regular season, it was uh, a 43% to 32%, 62% to 41% to 44%. Um, and in the loss, they only shot 23% from three. Uh, no secret, this is a three-point shooting team with guys like Kevin Love and J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, of course. Um, but three points, um, threes is huge. Secondly, bench scoring. Toronto outscored the Cavs 103-42 to in bench scoring. Um, the two regular season games tonight, you had guys like Tristan Thompson. I mean, vintage Tristan Thompson stepped up and really mm-hmm. played uh, really well. So that was huge. And then lastly, J.R. Smith. He had ten points and four points in the two meetings where they uh, won. Um, tonight he really stepped up. I believe he had about four threes. Um, so that's huge. Nice. Um, Demar Derozan. Only averaged 17 points when they played each other three times. Kyle Lowry only averaged 14. If they can keep that up, the Cavs have a very good chance. But tonight, I liked what I saw, um, and I am I'm excited, man. Especially if we can get guys like uh, Jordan Clarkson, some of those guys um, playing really well. But tonight, I'm telling you, man, I was I was pretty pleased. I was pretty pleased. I mean, you look at the look at the box score. You know LeBron's going to do what he does. He had a triple-double tonight. But then you get 19 from Kyle Korver, 20 mm-hmm. from J.R. Smith, mm-hmm. 16 from Jeff Green, 14 and 12 from Tristan Thompson. Um, and that's the recipe for how this 
Cavs team needs to win and mm-hmm. how this Cavs team needs to kind of support LeBron so that he's not wearing himself out. This was a great showing by this team. I mean, I, part of the game ball has to go to Tristan Thompson for Absolutely. his performance today. Um, I don't know. Well, I'm not going to go there with Tristan, but whatever he's doing, he needs to keep doing it. That's for sure. He's doing it with, (laughs) he needs to keep doing it with because he is, this is, this is the Tristan Thompson that we saw two years ago before he got the big contract. J.R. Smith gave you a vintage J.R. Smith performance, five of six from three hit some really, and then even Kevin Love, he only had seven points, but he did have 13 rebounds. Um, and had a it had a, a a key three that he did um, in the fourth as well as a bucket in the, a little hook shot in the paint as well, and you know I would like to see him score more, but he was still having an impact on the game without having big scoring numbers, um, and also um, it was interesting today he uh, Tyron Lue didn't play Larry Nance at all, which at I was all. a little bit surprised by. Um, but the rotations worked out pretty well. Even Jordan Clarkson, he was aggressive, which really forced the Toronto defense to react. Um, he only hit a couple shots, but they were a couple big ones, a key three and then another driving layup um, at one point during the second half. I would like to see him be a little bit more consistent, but this is kind of what the Cavs have been missing, what they were missing in the previous series is that the bench didn't show up. And yep. um, the one thing that they could kind of hang their hat on is that even without the bench showing up, they were able to win the series. If they have gotten any bench production during that series, it's a completely different <laughs> ball game. And so this game where you have um, a couple guys with 20 points and then three guys in double figures, even George Hill played a solid game, not necessarily a big point game, but he ran the offense, um, played solid defense, and was really aggressive as well. This is kind of the recipe that they need moving forward in order um, for them to win this series. And I think this this game one was a big part of that. Absolutely. So, Ian, let me toss it to our resident Cavaliers expert. Hey. What are some of the things you think are going to be important moving forward in this series? Uh, interesting question. Um, I mean, moving forward is is kind of what I was looking at, and I'm I'm glad to get the W tonight. Hey, game one on the road. Uh, you still home court. That's that's what you that's what you're aiming to do. Yep. Um, now, I, there's a lot of positive things that happen. I actually didn't see the game. I was uh. Otherwise occupied, but um, yeah, man, just uh, just hearing you know some of those things that you guys have mentioned is really encouraging. But there's some things that are not sustainable uh, that I'm I'm a little concerned with on the Cavs end. But let me start with the positives and in agreement with you guys. All the rave leading into the game was about how great Toronto's bench was and. How uh you know how tough it was gonna be you know if the Cavs bench players could not uh, match what Toronto's bench gives them so I give a lot of credit I don't know what the resurrection of Tristan Thompson is oh, gosh, <laughs> some I mean okay we're not blaming side chicks if anyone's wondering okay gotcha, gotcha. we're not I we're didn't not know, saying I didn't know side we chicks. weren't gonna mention yes. that but we're not not saying it's side chicks okay. Though. So, so, Tristan Thompson's coming out with Confessions Part 3. <laughs> but, but, yeah, man, no, um, I mean, that it's, it's encouraging to see. I hope it's sustainable. Um, unfortunately, man, like you said, it's been it's been a couple of years since we've seen consistent Tristan. So, yeah. I want to put a whole lot of faith in it. But I'm a little concerned that Larry Nance doesn't play at all. 
I understand, you know, when you got something that's working, you got something that's working. Um, but we all know Tristan's not an actual center, and you got Valanchunas, 21 and 21. I mean, he was. He Yo, was that dude was lighting everyone up. Love, he was lighting up Thompson. Every sing- I would literally point to my, my wife and be like, babe, watch this guy. And he would literally go in and just destroy us in the paint. That's, he's going to be mean, a problem. And mind you, he wasn't efficient because he shot seven of nineteen. True. Mm-hmm. And anytime he had, some, he had man, some, he had some point blank mix misses in the fourth quarter. That um, he did. I don't know if that's if that was bad legs. I don't know. There was a lot of traffic in the lane as well with Tristan oh, okay. and um, Tristan and Kevin Love kind of boxing out, drawing a lot of offensive fouls. Okay. Uh, maybe that's a little bit in his head, but he was. I mean, early on he was just he was killing them. But as the game wore on, his impact kind of kind of waned a little bit. Okay. Hey, you know, we can maybe attribute that to them having a little bit more of a layoff than us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, but, uh, yeah, that, um, I think the real key to the game for the Cavs, um, despite the fact that our field goal percentage was only 41%, despite the fact that Toronto uh, made shot, uh, well, they made 10 more free throws than us, turnovers. Yeah, Five. turnovers killed them. Five turnovers in the whole game for, for the Cavs. And so I think that's going to be, Really, the key. Um, I'm still concerned about LeBron playing 47 minutes. You know, Jetty Osmond is there. You know, some of those other guys have to be able to alleviate some of that pressure. But aside from that, I'm encouraged, you know, by hearing everything and, and by looking at how they played this game. And like I said, that turnover, that turnover battle. I mean, Toronto only had 13, but, you know, you have five turnovers, you're going to put yourself in any ball game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, other... the, the turnover the turnover numbers were sh- striking to me because you would think that the Cavs would have been up more points. I mean, I mean, at one point I saw it was like 13 to 5, and I think that was late in the second half. Um, so that was alarming to me that the Cavs weren't up more um, than they were with all the turnovers. Um, so well, they trailed. Know. They trailed most of the game. Yes, they uh, did. I mean, it's it's it was evident in the fact that they shot forty one percent from the field, but their saving grace was that they shot forty percent from the three point uh, line. You, that three point is going and, to be huge. But man, you and know the what? De- just uh, just real quick, Malcolm D. I, I understand that Kevin Love, you know, had an impact in other ways. It's great that he does that. You know, I know that he can. He, he's he's a high IQ guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed, you know, over his stint with the Cavs, you've just seen him improve even in hustle plays, 50-50 balls. You know, Kevin Love's going to give you energy and effort. Um, but it is time for him to put it together. Yeah. You know, the, the Kevin Love that scores four and has 18 rebounds, you know, that's encouraging. But we, we do need a, a, a viable second option consistently because yes. JR is not dropping 20 every game. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I, I'm looking for I, more from him. I agree. I just uh, – every time I see him, he just doesn't – he doesn't look healthy. Um, he had a couple rebounds where he normally would have squeezed it and brought it in, and he just wasn't able to do it. I think that thumb is affecting him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he's dealing with some other injuries as well because he missed a couple, think, couple little jump hooks in the lane that he normally hits. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were able to. One one positive thing the Cavs did is that they were able to exploit the mixed matches when he got um, Demar Derozan switched on him, um, and whether it was him taking a shot or him. 
um, finding the open guy after he got double teamed. That was some really good offense, and the ball was really moving then. Um, and I think that could be a place where if the if Toronto's going to try to do that, try to you know hide Demar on Kevin Love, that's that needs to be something that Tyloo ex- exploits. Now the other big storyline in this game is that the Toronto Raptors have a lot of issues with the Cavs and specifically LeBron James. And part of their uh, their issues come down a lot to mental toughness. Um, and so there was one thing in the fourth quarter that I thought was interesting. Um, it was a late fourth quarter possession. I want to say maybe 40 seconds left. And Kyle Lowry's inbounding the, inbounding the ball, and he couldn't get it in, and they five had seconds. a uh, five-second yep. violation, mm-hmm. um, which immediately sent me back to uh, some of his issues in Cavaliers' playoff games, oh, whether it's decompression gate or just playing not playing well. Uh, <laughs> so that's another thing to keep keep the eye on because, I mean, Le- LeBron, I think LeBron is definitely in their head. Um, and I think the longer that... <laughs> The Cavs are up in this series, um, especially if we get into game two and the Cavs get off to a hot start or have a laid lead, laid lead, uh, <laughs> lead late. I think that uh, that could come into play yeah. um, for Toronto. I mean, not at halftime, not at the end of the game. <laughs> this man had to go decompress. I feel like it was the fourth quarter. He's I feel like just, it was earlier than that. I thought it was like the second quarter or something like that. You know what? You might be right. But they just flash, and he's trotting back to what? What? I can't. I can't get that upset tonight. My, my I don't know. My sugar <laughs> might be low. I don't want to get that riled up or something. But that's the type of foolishness. Like I, he could never be my favorite player because you had to leave a ball. You left your team so that you could go to the locker room and decompress. I don't know if he, like, what, is, what does that mean? You had to watch some reruns of Fresh Prince, <laughs> Lollipop, and some, they charming soft, man. Yeah, and LeBron is in hard. their head. If the game, if, if it goes to seven games, I feel like that's the stuff that determines series. They yeah. don't believe that they can get the edge over LeBron in a in an even type of situation. They believe that he's a superior player. And so that's why, although they're the one seed, nobody cares. Yeah. Yep. And the, the other the other thing to watch is that they have some bodies to throw at LeBron, but they're young bodies, and they don't they don't have the experience guarding him or guarding anyone really at the NBA level. Uh, Pascal Siakam kind of gave LeBron had to make a little bit of an adjustment with him just because he's so long. It was yep. playing up on LeBron. Yep. Um, but he's nowhere near strong enough. And once again, if LeBron can get a full head of steam or get a good screen from Tristan, he's no problem. OG is is a really good defender, and I think I like his upside moving forward. But once again, he just doesn't have the the um, the experience. Although he's really strong, pretty athletic. Um, LeBron was able to kind of get him in the post and kind of exploit him, draw some quick fouls. Um, and he's, I don't think he's quite quick enough to stay ahead of LeBron. So, um, and then whenever they've switched on, switched bigs off on him, they have to double, which obviously is a field day for LeBron. So it'll be interesting to look at these things moving forward in this series, but let's switch gears to the other Eastern conference series. Sixers versus the Celtics. The Celtics took the uh, win in game one. Great. Game. Are you guys supposed, are you guys surprised by how well the Celtics are playing in these playoffs? And what do the Sixers have to do to try to get over the hump? Yes. I'm very surprised. Really? I'm uh, Honestly, I mean, after Gordon Hayward went down, you know, I was curious to see how the season went. 
Um, I still had confidence that they could they could be one of the top teams, and they were. Uh, young guys stepped up to play great. After Kyrie went down, you know, I think everybody was kind of expecting them to taper off and to make it into the playoffs. It'd be some good experience, and, you know, maybe they go down after the first round, maybe whatever. Uh, I did not expect them to come out of that first-round series, and I definitely didn't expect them to, to really compete with Philly like they have. Um, you know, Terry Rozier, you got to give him a huge deal of credit. Yeah. They're not missing Kyrie um, as much right now. Yeah. Because he's filling that role really well. So, yeah, um, definitely surprised to see them. And it's a pleasant surprise. Uh, I can see a four- or five-team-headed monster in the Eastern Conference moving forward, depending on what LeBron does. And uh, that, that's because these young guys in, in Boston, like they are, Jason Tatum's playing like a vet, and yeah. that's 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 really really interesting. Um, I would answer your second question, but I forgot it. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> uh, what do what do the Sixers need to do to get back into the series and get over the hump? Uh, yeah, man. I, I mean, they they they're not going to shoot the three as bad as they did, mm. and and I think that's and Boston may not shoot three as well as they did. I think it's I think the three ball and. That three-point percentage is going to be a real key. Mm. That was it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Keith, you got any, got any thoughts on this series? Um, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, I was one of the first to say that without Kyrie, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if Milwaukee took it in six or seven. Um, but at the same point in time, I still gave praise to Brad Stevens because I think he's one of the best coaches in the NBA when it comes to making adjustments. Um, young, young coach, he, he understands the game of basketball. And what I love about him is that he understands how to make pieces fit, even when they're down a player, down two players, down three players. I mean, because the, the funny thing about yesterday is they also didn't have Jalen Brown and they still mm-hmm. won the game. Um, and, 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 you know, to... Ian's point, Terry, Terry Rozier has been balling. The thing that worries me is, uh, is his, his lack of play um, uh, on the road. You know, I looked at his stats, and his, his road stats are putrid compared to his home stats. Uh, but at the end of the day, it, it, when they have home court advantage, I guess it doesn't matter. Um, but this, that guy's balled, honestly. Um, he has really stepped up, and, and they know the Celtics – encompass team basketball and that's what I love about them even though I, I can't stand it you know especially when they play the Cavs because they just teach Cavs team basketball too um but they all buy in they all buy in you know and um that's what I'm impressed by so I am kind of shocked but at the same point in time with that coach I'm not really surprised uh because he just gets it uh he gets his team and and he has a system that 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 works for that team um, what do the Sixers have to do? I mean, at the end of the day, Embiid's going to get his. I mean, that man is just a monster. I think he had, what, 31? Um, yeah. yeah, 31 points. So, um, but they need, they really need their bench to, I mean, their bench put up 11 points yesterday. Um, yeah. Or, I'm sorry, uh, 17. Bell- and Bellinelli, Bellinelli had 11 of those, th- uh, nine of which, uh, no, three of which was on threes and four of which was on free throws. So uh, they're really going to need that bench to step up and, and, and somehow get Covington, their small forward who was 0 for 6 
uh, on, from the field yesterday. They need to get him going. So, uh, I, and, I, and oh, I read a real interesting thing with Terry Rozier was awful with Ben Simmons sticking him. Everyone else, he put mm-hmm. up like most of his points. So I think if they look at that film, I think it'll be very interesting if they if they put Ben Simmons on Rozier. It'll be interesting to see that matchup because I don't think the Celtics win without Rozier playing as well as he does. Um, so uh, so yeah, that, that's those are my takes. But it is just crazy to see how they have the Celtics have played so well even without Jalen Brown. You guys know how long he's out, by the way. Um, I think they're taking it game to game. Okay. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if if they sit him, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's if he's back either. I think I think he's I think it's one of those things that if they needed him to play or if it was an emergency situation, I think he would. But I think right now they're just being cautious. Yeah. Um, but here's interesting. What you just mentioned, Ben Simmons guarding Terry Rozier would be an interesting adjustment. But the problem is that J.J. Redick is the other guard and he has to guard somebody. Yep. And there is no place to hide J.J. Redick um, <laughs> on these guys. Um so I mean that's I mean you saw the the Celtics Al Horford had twenty six Jason Tatum had twenty eight Terry Rozier had twenty nine, um, so where do you hide JJ Redick in I that mean, situation? I think you, I think you put, put him on Marcus Smart. You know, like I, I think I think you have a better. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I mean, I mean I that's that's probably gonna be better than him on Rozier because I mean Rozier anytime anyone else guarded him he went off. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know. That's that's a tough that's a tough sell. Um, but I, I, I'm not, I'm surprised and I'm not surprised. Um, if that makes any sense, Brad Stevens is a great coach, obviously, and he has a great system in place. Um, I I think it was Kenny Smith that talked about how, um, you know, if, if a guy you know, they lose Kyrie and that's 25 shots, you know, that people need to take. He said the next guy that comes in is taking those 25 shots. It's not like, oh, we got to find somebody else to do it. No, the system is built in a way that. Um, whoever slides in can step into that role. So um, I think that's kind of the beauty of the of this team. Even, I mean, you look at the names on this roster and you would think this is not an NBA playoff team, but <laughs> he, he just maximizes this talent in such a great way. And the interesting... Um, interesting move that he did here was having Aaron Baines starting at center mm-hmm. and basically parking him in the corner, um, pulling jo- Joel Embiid from the paint, um, Embiid had no blocks in this game um, and no real rim protection because he was forced to stay out on the perimeter and stay close enough at home with Baines, who hit a couple threes as well uh, in the game. So that's going to be a big thing to watch to see what kind of adjustments they could possibly make for that because if Embiid isn't there to kind of be that rim protector, this defense kind of falls apart. Um, And you can kind of see also on this team that they're – where they're lacking a playmaker. I mean, the only other guard they played last night in significant minutes was Bellinelli. He's an off guard, um, and they don't. The, the McConnell played in, in a in garbage time, and Fultz didn't play at all. So I'm looking at. I think Brett Brown is going to have to eventually play play Fultz, um, just to give them another playmaker, particularly. Um, particularly against some of these smaller, faster lineups, you need another guy that can help Ben Simmons out. Um, you know, his shot is still suspect, but um, I think they need another guy that can handle the ball. Because when you have Simmons, Reddick, Embiid, Covington, and Sarge on the floor, Simmons is the playmaker. And then if the only guys you're bringing off the bench is Ilya Silver and Bellinelli, 
there's no more playmakers or ball handlers coming on the floor. So I need they need a little bit more versatility. They need to give the Celtics something else to plan for or else they'll just stay home on Ben Simmons, um, play off of him and really force force the other guys uh, to make plays. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing moving forward. Embiid is going to get is going to get his points. Yeah. I would like to see him have more of an impact on the defensive side of the ball, but the Celtics are doing a good job of kind of game planning him out of out of that. I hadn't noticed. Uh, well, I did notice Baines in the corner, but I didn't notice that was a, a concentrated tactic. Which I mean, it's mm-hmm. brilliant because um, Embiid's one of those guys. He, I feel like he thrives. He thrives off of making those defensive plays too. So yeah. although he had thirty-one points, um, it was a little bit quieter of a night yeah. for him um, because he was not that presence. But again, I, I, I actually don't think Philly needs to change that much. Like guys. The, the, they're not going to shoot 19% from three. Uh, I mean, maybe not again for the series. And Boston may or may not shoot 47%. Like, that disparity is the ball game. The 16-point ball game. I mean... Yeah, but the, but we know the Celtics are going to play defense. And they're going to game plan them out of what, what they want to do. Um, I, and I think, I think, that, I think that is going to be more of the norm than... Um, Philly, Philly may shoot a little bit better than this, um, but even if they do, that Celtics defense is going to be right there. Well, I think I, I would expect to see some, uh, some like high low action with you know Embiid at the, maybe at the at the top of the you know, at the top of the key, maybe doing a little bit more facilitating there so that frees up Simmons to be mm-hmm. more of a slasher. In the game, I'm, I'll be I'll be curious to see what type of adjustments they make. But you you said it at this point in the playoffs, that's what it's about. You know what your team yeah. can do. You see what the other team is doing. We'll see what Philly comes with in game two. It's gonna yeah. be an exciting series, so, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I'm hoping that uh, Philly can can get a game in Boston to make this a series a little bit. So, um, so these next couple series, I want to dedicate some time to both. I'm actually not excited about either one nope. of these other Western Conference series. So, which one of these series, which one of these teams has the best chance of pulling an upset between the Pelicans against the uh, Warriors and the Rockets against the Jazz? Which lower seeded team do you see having the best shot? Is neither an answer, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. You have to. Is pick neither one. an option, Malcolm? You have to pick one. Oh my goodness! Um, need, need I remind some people on the panel that there was a couple people, one maybe two, that thought the Pelicans could give the Golden State Warriors some trouble. Okay, I mean, let me say this: I I, I am one who did say that I thought the Pelicans could potentially give them um, a little trouble. Um, but here's the deal: in the, the day, the Warriors have one guy that is absolutely unstoppable. And his name is Kevin Durant. And like I've been saying the whole time, as much as I can't stand him, um, the guy is just un- unguardable. And then on top of that, Steph Curry is coming back. Um, and the team is just, it's, it's unreal. It's like scary good. Even though the Rockets have beat them, you know, a few times in the regular season. Um, here's, here's the only hope. Here's the only reason why I would say New Orleans over Utah. And that's because of Anthony Davis one and Drew and and Drew Holiday. Um, I think Drew Holiday poses 
real problems uh, for, you know, either Steph Curry or whoever it may be. Um, and then, of course, playoff Rondo, which I know my boy Ian loves to hear. Um, but if he's if he if he is creating um, if he's creating offense the way that he can, um, that'll give them their best shot over um, a Jazz team that if they don't have Ricky Rubio, they're really depending on you know Donovan Mitchell, who has been great. Don't get me wrong, but I think I would edge it at New Orleans um, just because of Davis and, and Drew um, and Utah's lack of offense, especially if Rubio's not in the game. So I would say if I had to choose one, it'd be it'd be the Pelicans. Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, right before Game One, uh, Houston and Utah. I I turned to my wife and I said, you know, I don't know why it just dawned on me, but Utah's about to get smoked. Just um, you know, they did. Uh, they were the better team in that series against OKC, but they still exerted a lot of energy. I think it was, you know, one day off, and then they they playing against Houston. And, um, you know, some of the other things, let's not forget that uh, um, that Mitchell, you know, he did have an injury that he sustained in that first round. And, you know, while all seems to be well, and they went ahead and then they did get routed. I don't expect them to – yes, I do. Yes, I do. It's going to be an easy <laughs> season for Houston. I wanted, I wanted to insert some intrigue. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, but uh, sorry. Yeah, Houston's going to pretty much wrap that up, I think, in five. Um, just too many, too many ways of attack. I don't know why the the Harden-Capella pick and roll is so unstoppable, but, I'm, I mean, I'm just watching the game and time and time and time again. Uh, Capella's just looking like, a, he's looking like a superstar. Did it against Minnesota, too, so, I mean, hey. Mm-hmm. I don't think they have anything to really rival that. And just the star power of James Harden. Um, the man is a scoring machine. And it did not matter who uh, Utah was throwing at him. Uh, he was he was still getting his. Now, you look at the Pel- Pelicans. Um, whew, Keith mentioned their name. Um, <laughs> the pride of Louisville, Kentucky. Once again, One, uh, we have t- we have talked about Ray John Rondo way too much Ray today. Ray John Pierre Rondo um, <laughs> in playoff mode, I think is going to make the difference. Uh, of course, we'll see um, um, how things go. Wait, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute. Make the difference. What what does that mean? That means that the the Rondo versus Steph Curry matchup is so much more important than I think is getting credit for. I mean, yeah, you, you got Clay who I don't know, Clay's Clay's gonna sometimes he go off. I think I think the honestly I really do think the series is gonna come down to how many games does Clay get into a groove. Um and it seems like they, they win regardless of how Clay plays. But I, I do think um in this in this particular matchup, if Clay is coming out and he's dropping twenty twenty five points, then you you can't beat them. Nope. I, I think Rondo is is going to conduct that team in such a way. What I've seen in in, in the Pelicans in the past, um, in their playoff series, is you know once they start, once the team starts making moves against them, they will slow down their pace. They start losing structure in their offense, and it's just not happening with Rondo. He's too stubborn of a guy. 
uh, to let them to let them fall out of sync. And so even in game, you know, in game one, they were still they were still pressing a little bit. And so I don't know. I just uh, I have all the faith in the world in, uh, in playoff Rondo. I think New Orleans has the better chance of, of giving a run. But like I said, if if Clay is the Clay that he can be, um, because Draymond is not going to consistently give you buckets, KD will, but he's not playing like I don't know, like like superstar KD. He's playing like intense role player KD. Oh, Ian, I don't know about that, man. He KD is. When was the last time Kevin Durant has dominated the game? Bro, he hasn't. He definitely hasn't had to. Had hadn't. I mean, he, he doesn't have to. Yeah. Is the is the thing. And anytime he, I mean, like that last series. I mean, I remember watching KD. You know, give the Spurs at least eight to ten straight, like off rip. Like that dude was balling all last series. Um, and then I mean, of course, he doesn't like Malcolm said. He doesn't have to because he's he's on a team with other superstars, which is. Why I hate him even more, um, but still, like he is that dude is bald. I could not agree that he has a, that he's just been a role player. That dude is ridiculous. I'm not yeah. saying his talent is only that of a role player. I'm just saying basically what y'all are saying. He has not had to dominate, take over. Hasn't had to assert himself to a superstar level. Can we agree on that? Okay, well, I'm just going to say, the guy that has not exerted himself to superstar level averaged 28, 8, and 5 um, in the last series. So, if that's him not at a superstar level, we're, this league is in trouble. That's, that's what I'm saying. Crazy. Like, I, I feel like he's, he's – I feel like KD is 38, 8, and 5 good. Like, I mean, he's, he's that deadly of a scorer, but, I mean – all right, fine. We won't split hairs. Yeah, he's getting buckets. I just don't like Kevin. So uh, <laughs> I'm glad so, you're coming. To I don't either. So, no, I don't. So I tend to listen, man. It's only hating if you don't admit it. <laughs> right. I, I, just, I, just, I just don't like the man. No. But, I mean, he balls. Listen, I, I respect his offensive capability. Absolutely. I just, but, but I will say I, I think Steph makes more of a stamp on the game than Kevin does when they're at their peak. Steph... No, 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 no. From the shot making to what he does to the defense to Mm -mm. how he sets up. Golden State is a completely different team when Steph is Steph. I tell you this much. I I tell you this much. You look at you look at um if K D is out, I bet you they have more of a shot of losing than if than if Steph is out. Guarantee it. Here's here's the thing. We've seen them play without KD, and we've seen them play without Steph. Last year, they actually played pretty well without KD. This year, they looked a little. They, this is when people start. We're like, okay, maybe somebody can get them this year if, if Steph's not. We start kind of talking ourselves to into it. What Steph does, which is probably the most underrated thing of any player, is that he forces teams to come out to the free throw line and beyond, which That's true. completely extends that defense out. Like half court um, attention. Right. They, he could pull up from anywhere. So they have to extend their defense so far out to react to him. If he gets by the first guy, if he gets by his initial defender, whether it's on a screen, they have to overreact to that because Steph Curry shooting an open, wide open three or a wide open drive to the lane is almost automatic. Kevin Durant doesn't quite have that same gravity. What he does do is he can hit shots that Steph can't hit in the sense yes. that if 
if Kevin Durant has somebody in his face, he can just raise up over them and make a shot. Absolutely. So he's a difference maker, but this team goes as Steph Curry. Steph Curry is kind of the the gravity and the glue, especially on offense, that makes this team as great as it is. Without yeah. Steph, we've we've seen how they're they're a little bit more pedestrian, and you're like, okay, I can get game plan for this a little bit more. But when you have Steph out there who's extending your defense beyond the three point line, yeah. it's tough to cover that much space and be disciplined on defense. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess I just look at it this way, like you know, um, with Durant, you know, like for instance, last year against the Cavs. In the finals, I mean, of, of course Steph was balling, but KD was literally putting the team on his back and literally going down and saying, I got y'all, and just giving the Cavs bucket after bucket after bucket. I mean, game three, the, 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 the huge game of the series where KD literally silences all of Cleveland, like KD was a, he was a monster. And, you know, that's why, I, that's why you know, after the Cavs beat them, coming back from 3-1 in that just glorious uh, series that I loved oh so much. Um, after that, of course, rumor was that, you know, Draymond, you know, reaches out to Kevin Durant um, because they know with Durant on that team, like that team is unstoppable. I, I still think that without Curry, that team still wins a championship. But without Durant, it is questionable because, of course, mm. we beat them without when they did not have Durant, and we should have beaten them the first series. Had you know, let me say, we the Cavs, um, when they did not have Durant. If if the Cavs had you know Kyrie Irving and K Love in that first series, they may have won. It's something different when you add the unstoppable scorer of Kevin Durant. Not just because he can hit shots anywhere, just because he's so big that I mean, who can really guard this man? Like seriously. Outside of a guy like potentially Kawhi Leonard or LeBron, um, who can really guard him? That's why I think, what? to me, I think I, that I think Steph's game is incredible, and I think you know he is almost unstoppable as well. But I just think Durant's what he brings is just I think, unreal. I think we're having I think we're having two different conversations. You're talking about who's the best player on the team, who is probably Kevin Durant, but the most important player is Steph Curry. Um, I disagree, so you, but that's okay. You're wrong. <laughs> I'm wrong. Okay, I, I don't. Okay. I think I think it's, it's Durant, okay, man. But I you're wrong. <laughs> I'm telling you, I think it's Durant. Like they, I, you know, if if I had the advanced stats, which I don't, I would pull them up, and they would. I think they would show pretty definitively that. Once again, we're not taking away from Kevin Durant as a great player, top five oh, no. player in the league. Mm-hmm. We're not taking this. Yes, and he's he obviously took this team to a completely another stratosphere when you add him to this roster. Yes, yes, but yes. we saw we saw how they played. What, what was their record at the end of last year when they played without KD? Wasn't it like fifteen and one? Um, and then this year they they were without uh, Steph, and they kind of limped into the playoffs and start people had it, people starting to think, oh, maybe they're not as good as we think they are. Um, I mean, yeah, but I'm talking, okay, I mean, that may be true, but I'm talking more playoffs, and I think that, you know, well, of course, they played the Spurs first round without Steph, Um, they they beat him in five, (laughs) um, which, you know, so I don't, I'm not talking regular season, I'm talking postseason, when it's really going to count, I think if they're without Steph, they probably could still win the finals. I don't know about Durant. It's been, it's been, it's been proven thus far, of course, they have, they just haven't, you know, uh, had a finals without Steph yet. Uh, I mean, it would be great if they did. 
uh, because uh, uh, I would I would love to see them lose uh, or, or potentially lose. But with with both of them, of course, it's it's almost unreal. I just think that's just what I think, though. So. Hey, you know, we all beautiful thing about this podcast is that we can all have opinions. And the beautiful thing is that, you know, one of us can be wrong. Um, <laughs> so... Hey, I like debates, man. We, we shouldn't always agree on this podcast. That's for sure. I 100% agree. Somebody has to be wrong. Um, someone someone so... has to disagree. <laughs> so let's talk about Russell Westbrook. Um, oh, boy. And his, rea- his reaction and response to the Utah fans. This is nothing really new. Um, you see this kind of come up. You've heard Charles Barkley talk about it a lot, um, and you hear you hear players every once in a while, especially when they, ironically, when they lose is when they start talking about it. When they're winning, no one cares. Oh, I don't, I don't pay attention to what's going on in the crowd. I was just focused on the game. But when they lose, these fans are out of control. They're saying crazy stuff. I'm so hurt. Blah 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 blah. Whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, so I want to hear, I want to hear you guys' thoughts on this, and I'll start off. For me, Russell Westbrook is so sensitive, so sensitive, Um, whether it's the whole Ricky Rubio thing and overreacting to that, saying I'm going to shut that stuff down, whether it's saying stuff about Kevin Durant, whether it's people asking him questions he just doesn't want to answer. He just seems like he lets this stuff get to him, especially when things aren't going well. Um and to me, it's it's kind of a cop out to start talking about fans and what are, what are they doing and why are they you know da da da. You're, look, you're playing basketball. Um, at the end of the day, these people have little to no effect on your lives. Now, there are some things I don't think should be said at all, and probably um, we've probably heard some of those things, whether at games or at home or even on social media. Um, but as players. I mean, what are you honestly going to do? Are you going to be like Vernon Maxwell and go up in the stands and start beating up people? Uh, are you going to be like Ron Artest and start? Ron Artest. You know, yeah. You're going to go in the stands and start taking out people? Like, look, that there, this can go one way or this can go the other way. For, pause really quick. Do y'all remember the Vernon Maxwell thing? Absolutely. Have you seen the video of this? I love the pause before he punches the guy. Yes. And that, here's the thing. I was, so somebody posted it on Twitter. And so obviously everybody's retweeting it with their thoughts. And they were like, first of all, A, I want to understand what Robert Ory thought Vernon Maxwell was doing. <laughs> that he just let him run up there. <laughs> Did he think he's just going to walk up there and just talk to the guy? <laughs> uh, and they mentioned the pause too. Like the pause is epic. It was um, wonderful, man. <laughs> I mean, I think Ori was like, okay, I know Vernon. He about to punch somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not jumping in, in the way. Listen, hey, they taught me that in de-escalation training. You got to wait until uh, till the rumble get going a little bit. Then you could try. And, I'm not getting in and between the, them two. And then the other thing is, he just walked off, the, walked out of the stance and sat on the bench like nothing happened. That was the best part. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was waiting to see if he was checking back in the game right there. Man, I love oh, it. God. I'll be honest. I okay, Malcolm. I mean, I, I hear your. I hear what you're saying. I do. Um, these guys. I'm are paid, glad you hear what I'm saying, Ian. They pay millions of dollars. Yeah, man, you can't do loud and clear, bro. I I I hear the 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 standpoint that you know. 
Uh oh. Uh, you, you know, you can't let stuff get in your head and everything like that. I think there's a butt my, coming. My thing is this: I don't care if I'm if if I'm playing basketball. I don't care. I, I don't care if I'm ringing you up at the grocery store. I don't care if I'm preaching in the pulpit. You start heckling me and say something about my wife or my kids. First of all, somebody heckling you about your wife and kids while you're preaching a sermon is that's a problem. problematic on a lot right. of levels. Listen, they got the devil all over them. I'm just kidding. They disrespectful in this 2018 world. They they calling. I mean, in the world of Bill Cosby, disrespect uh, is running rampant. Uh, I mean, it's just running rampant out here. Um, and that's both disrespectful and hilarious, but it's it's more disrespectful. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I mean, so I I, I do think Russ is, is mm, sensitive. I think his filter for how things happen, and uh, um, I think he's one of those guys that has the manhood complex. Mm. That, you know, I have to I have to defend my manhood to a certain degree. You know, so that's how you see him interact with other guys on the basketball court. Uh, which some people say unnecessary, some people love it. You know, he said he's been quoted as saying, I don't have any friends on the court, uh, but Spalding and my teammates, you know, so I don't, I'm, I'm convinced. Wait, he said that, he said that out loud? Yeah. <laughs> so I think somebody oh, asked him about, about, you know, interacting with guys that he's friends I, with off the court. I forgot about that. And he's like, yeah, you know, but when I'm on the court, I don't have no friends with Spalding and my teammates. So I was like, okay. Wow. But yeah, I mean, he definitely he he lives with a chip on his shoulder. I think that's the thing about Russ is that he's honest. He doesn't just play so, with it. He lives by it. I so, don't want to read too much into that, but the fact that he said Spalding first is, I think, is very telling to what, <laughs> to his philosophy <laughs> on basketball. <laughs> listen, and Russ is a married man, but listen, if, if he if he kisses Spalding goodnight before his wife, then that's his business. <laughs> but. But man, no, I, I just I, I think, you know, there is a line that can be crossed and, and guys should be able to at least speak their piece. You know, whether or not you get physical with a fan, something like that. But it should not be frowned upon to say, and that's what security is supposed to be there for, you know, uh monitoring and, and when guys when folks get out of pocket, which they do, you know, you remember the uh the guy who was just giving Russ the middle finger in that clip? Mm, you yeah. know, and, and yeah. then, you know, the lady who was just saying stuff about LeBron and then LeBron caught her and the, like stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's some of that is, is gamesmanship. Some of that is home team and fans being fans. And some of that is uh is people losing their mind. And when that happens, <laughs> there should be there should be a line. <sighs> Guys. Keith <laughs> with the. <laughs> Listen, here's the deal. Have you been? He- has somebody been heckling you, Keith? What's going uh, on? That was deep breath. No, I mean that sounded, like, that sounded like repressed memories coming back. <laughs> no, I mean because I, I saw a bunch of people just like praising Russell Westbrook for speaking out and all these type of things. Look, here's the deal. It's it, it's like when you take a job, you ought to know what it comes with. You know, like I took a job at Apple. I know that there's going to be some people who walk into the store. They're going to be upset. They're, they're going to potentially take it out on me. It's not going to be my fault, but I understand they're going to be upset because their lives are on their phones or their iPads. If it's not working, they're going to be upset. It's the nature of the job. I say all that to say 
when you are a professional athlete, you are scrutinized. Anything you do is, I mean, you're in the media, like you understand what it comes with. And so at the end of the day, you have to be mentally tough enough to be able to, or immature enough to be able to deal with the fact that people are going to say, you know, um, terrible things. They're going to say things about your family. They're going to say things about anyone just to try to get underneath your skin. That's the nature of sports. Not to say it's right or wrong. It's just the nature of it. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, like I think about LeBron, LeBron is the most scrutinized player um, probably in the history of the NBA, probably one of the most scrutinized, especially when the Cavs couldn't win a ring. And then he goes to Miami, loses that first that first series to Dallas. Skip Bayless was ripping LeBron to shreds. Um, Everyone was for the most part. Um, And LeBron never, I don't think ever. Um, came out and just literally blatantly just, you know, now, of course, that's not to say, oh, well. I was well, going to say, there's there's that one time, there's that, that first playoff, that first Miami year, everybody else got to go back home to their boring lives, and, you know. Right, I mean, that's, that's be, true. Okay, that's true. He, 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 hit, he hit him below he, the belt there. He listen, hit him below the belt there. So, look, I mean, LeBron got Twitter fingers. <laughs> LeBron. <laughs> He's the passive aggressive post king. Right, he very passive aggressive. Whole, whole ad campaign with Nike about being the villain. Like, yeah, there was a lot going on with LeBron Look, that year. Le- I mean, LeBron yeah. hurt my LeBron hurt my feelings when he was talking about going back. I'm a LeBron <laughs> fan, and I was sitting there like, oh my little normal life. Oh God. Yeah, I for- <laughs> I honestly forgot about that. Honestly, um, and and uh, yeah. So, but I mean. You know, he's not saying the, the type of things that Russ is saying. And I do agree with you, Malcolm, that he's extremely sensitive. Uh, I mean, heck, I mean, I'm sensitive. But at the end of, end of the day, I'm not playing in the NBA making millions. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's what comes with the territory. And you have to understand that, um, you know, um, I, never mind. I was getting ready to say something else. But I didn't want to start, like, preaching. Um <laughs> Because I was about to talk about like how you know Jesus knew exactly what you know coming oh, to wow. earth meant. Like he knew oh. what 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 it was coming with. He knew people were going to talk about him and all that type of stuff. Anyways, I'm not going to get into all that. All I'm saying is, you, is that. So wait, Rush, wait, are you comparing Russell Westbrook to Jesus? Is no. That what we're doing all right I'm now? saying is, is that it, <laughs> he Russell knew Jesus. what would come with the territory. <laughs> Jesus knew what would come with the territory, um, and Rush should know. But yet and still, Rush just allows everything to get underneath his skin. Um, and at the end of the day, let's just be honest, it's because Russ is not finding success in the NBA when it comes to winning and winning in the playoffs. I mean, last year they were up 3-1 and they could not, you know, could not beat the Warriors. Then Durant leaves and goes and joins the villains or joins the bad guys. And, you know, Russ has a chip on his shoulder with all that. Of course, he wins MVP. But at the end of the day, it boils down to the fact that, and many people are saying it, that if Russ continues to play like Russ, he will never be an NBA champion, which I almost agree with. So, um, so that's that's the deal. That's the deal. So that's what it is at the end of the day. He's upset because he can't win, and so he's going to take it out on on fans and take it out on anyone else. Um, so yeah, that's my whole spiel um, about Russ. Wow. wow, I I had more to say, and I. Don't know how to follow up with just happening. That was <laughs> that was brutal. Yeah, that man. was wow. I was I was about to go like put my take in and then be like I don't want to pile on Russ, but I think we've effectively <laughs> dropped the bus on top of Russ. But yeah, I, I, <laughs> my, 
My my thing is real quick. And we'll get we'll get off this. I don't want I don't want this to be the uh, yeah. Please, I want to hear you guys. I mean, I I want to hear what you got to say now. Um, he, I think my issue is just he does this thing where he jumps out there and says these things, um, and then he ends up having to backtrack or he just won't address it or he has these little these little weird exchanges with reporters where they'll ask him a question he just didn't like. He'll just look at him and not even answer the question. And so I think my my general question, my general issues with his issues with the media um, and issues with fans in general. Like if you look at the video, obviously I don't know what was said in the audio, but you can see somebody just has a camera out and he just knocks tries to knock the camera out of their hand, which I think is over the line for a player. To, uh, it's over the line really for a player to do anything to a fan. Um, but unless there's something said crazy, unless that person went like Kevin Durant and started talking about his wife tasted like Honey Nut Cheerios, <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand the reaction. And so that coupled with with him going out there and saying he go shut that stuff down for Ricky Rubio when they get blown out again, like I'm just I'm just kind of over this grumpy, angry Russell Russell Westbrook to kind of prove a point. Yeah. Um, I'm with so, you. And then, between that and 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 playoff uh, PG, the yeah. self proclaimed the self proclaimed and taken away playoff PG, um, and then you got Melo out here talking about how he's not taking a bench roll. This is just a it's just a train wreck of a situation. I forgot the original. I mean, were we originally talking about Russ or just OKC? Yeah, we were talking about Russ. Yeah, Russ. I'm sorry. We we man, yeah, no, they're they're. I mean, that whole team is a mess. I, I I'm with you, Malcolm. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of his antics with the media because a lot of that is unwarranted. That I think Keith fits more of the profile of this comes this comes with the job. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you mad that they asking you questions? Like, you're, and you're, you're in OKC. It's not like he's in New York or LA, right? Or something right. somewhere. This is there's three reporters in Oklahoma City, and you 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 don't talk to two of them. Yeah, and you get mad whenever somebody asks you a question you don't like. So it's like, and there's bro, nothing it, else happening there. All they have right. is to talk to you. But uh, but yeah. So I mean, I, I'm that I'm tired of. I'm I'm sorry if if fans get vulgar or something like that. There needs to be a provision made where they could just throw hands at at you know breaks into action. There should be a special timeout where you know those fans who feel like they needed to express themselves and want to yell stuff behind the bench all game and stuff like that. They should have opportunity to line up and square up. I hope I hope you guys understand that taking that stance means we are advocating murder because these NBA players would absolutely destroy fans. It's got to be a controlled die. environment, man. <laughs> we can't go full blown Hunger Games, but you know. You you tell me who's gonna stop who's gonna stop Shaq if we, if that was allowed when he was playing? Who gonna stop Shaq? Brock Lesnar. Who's getting between between Shaq and uh, and a fan? Brock Lesnar for sure. Who's getting? No one even got it between Ron Artest. Who's getting between Ron Artest and a fan? Well, you know Ron Artest. He he (laughs) played in the streets where you know cats used to break legs (laughs) off tables. It's that people. Shout out to shout outs to Ron's uh, therapist. Um. All right, so. We're getting short on time. I want to make sure we get enough time to talk about the NFL draft, which was last weekend, last weekend. Um, So we're going to start off um, talking about our teams. Um, Obviously, coming from Cleveland, 
Uh, Ian's a Browns fan from Cincinnati. Oh boy. He's a Bengals fan. And I am the outlier, the 49ers fan. So real quick, let's kind of go, go through. We'll start off with the Browns um, since they had the top pick. Um, go through kind of you guys' draft. What guys do you like? What question marks do you have? Um, Ian, kick it off. Yeah, man. Um, in the interest of time, I'll stick to our first rounders. Uh, the later rounds, I think we did some solid building. Um, took some players with some questionable rap sheets and stuff like that, but um, you know, I, uh, I, I think you know they did a good job of filling in some of the holes. I'll be interested to see what they what they do from here on, um, and how they pick up and, and fill out the rest of the roster. Number one pick. Baker freaking Mayfield. Mayfield, boomer sooner. <laughs> I don't um, I appreciate that enthusiasm. I uh, listen, man. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I'm, I'm glad that the Browns identified their guy. And my whole thing had been, if they don't have a guy that sticks out to them, take the best player in the draft. Whether you think that's Saquon, whether you think that's Chubb. Take the best player, but clearly they identified a guy that they felt was uh, was their guy to lead them into the future. Hey, you know we will know in a few years. I love the situation though. Um, you know, people talk about him having any of these guys needed something to uh, something to something to address as far as uh, being NFL ready. Um, he's got a year to be behind Tyrod Taylor. Hugh Jackson's already said Tyrod's going to be the starter. This is the first time a Browns quarterback will come in and intentionally be sat to be groomed and not thrown right into the fire. And that's mm-hmm. since Tim Couch, all of those guys. And so that is the silver lining for me. I feel like John Dorsey and those guys know what they're doing with that. Denzel Ward at four. I, I'm, I, I wanted Bradley Chubb very badly at four. To me... I'll take the pass rush to, to pair with Miles Garrett. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, to me, I want to take the guy who can get to the quarterback, who can, you know, contribute to stopping the running game, the guy who can hurry, even if not sack the quarterback. I want to affect what's going on in the pocket more so than I need somebody who, you know, I feel like is, is going to be. Uh, um, I mean, in lockdown, lockdown corners, they have their place as well. But having an attack like that up front, I feel like would have benefited the defense more. But, you know, hey, they saw what they needed in Denzel Ward. They took him. Uh, We'll see how he develops. But if that pick falls through, if for any reason he's anything less than a perennial pro bowler, um, that's going to sting for a lot of years because we had a good opportunity to do something big with that defense. Absolutely. Completely agreed. I still think you guys should have taken Barkley. That's just me, though. Yep. Uh, yeah, we we talked. We've we've litigated that quite a bit on this podcast. I'm excited that a sooner went number one. Not excited that it was Baker Mayfield. Can we can we give him a a, a nickname? Could he be Baker Ball Game? Baker Ball, Baller? I don't know. We gotta give him a nickname. Um, interesting enough, you guys picked up one of the guys that was on my players to watch list, Antonio Callaway. I was really surprised they got him at four. Uh, I mean, at the in the fourth round. He's a really he's a really talented player, but that off field stuff is scary. Yeah. Um, but hey, that's the Browns once again rolling the dice, and I love getting Nick Chubb in the second round too. Um, mm-hmm. I think he's a good back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I you guys did a pretty good job. I can't wait for Baker and Antonio 
and Josh Gordon and Johnny to hang out in the offseason. I'm going to tell you what. I'm going to tell you what. Y'all better keep my boy Baker away from Antonio Callaway. Because I don't. I ain't, uh. All right. So we'll talk about the 49ers next. Um, so they took an offensive tackle first. Um, I know I should be excited. He was highly rated. Um, number one as position. I just have no idea how to evaluate offensive linemen. Um, so I'm excited that we will have a good offensive lineman as far as that goes. Um, I didn't like Dante Pettis in the second round. I hated that we weren't able to get in there and get Calvin Ridley um, or one of these other top flight receivers. Um, Fred Warner is kind of a tackling machine for BYU, but I don't know. I mean, this look, I, I'm going to have hope that the front office did some deep recruiting because I have never heard of half of these people on this list. Um, DJ Reed is an interesting guy from Kansas State. He's an undersized corner, but he can help them in the special teams um, and is, has some pretty good coverage skills. So it'll be interesting to see how they how they work him into the offense. Um, but overall, I'm not super excited. There's no names on here that excite me. Um, so... That is the end of my 49ers draft analysis. So we'll go to Keith Turner to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, don't do all that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, overall, I give us like a B minus C plus. Um, I think in the end, um, of course, we um, traded down so we can get a left tackle, uh, Cordy Glenn. Uh, who we got from the Bills, which I think that's good. And I think, of course, I was picking up Billy Price, uh, Ian O.H. That's right. You know, if, if Malcolm can say Boomer, Boomer sooner, then, you know, uh, I got to make sure we get that in there. Um, so, no, no, you know, uh, bo- uh, Boomer, um, anyways. <laughs> it's on the brain. Bo- boomer, whatever. Anyways, um, <laughs> Boomer sooner, I guess. You know, you guys did whip us the last time. I can't lie. Baker tore us up. He lit us up. Anyways, but um, Billy Price at one, I think, is a good pick. Um, I think it was interesting that we went safety next, honestly. Um, I think there were some other things that we could have went after. Um, but I guess it's going to be interesting to see what our defensive scheme is going to be uh, with this new defensive coordinator since Paul Gunther left um, to join John Gruden. Um, so what, what my thought process is, is that we could move a guy like Sean Williams up to play like a, almost like another linebacker, kind of like Philly does with Malcolm Jenkins. Um, and if we do that and put Jesse Bates back in the, in the defensive backfield, um, that could be interesting. Um, but who I'm most excited about, like I told you guys last podcast was Sam Hubbard. I I didn't know we were going to be able to land him. Uh, but it was almost like an epiphany because, uh, of course, like I told you guys, we saw him at our job at Apple. Um, and soon after, we, we, uh, we go after and we get him. So I'm really excited about what he can bring for our defense, um, especially at the point that we got him. Um, because, you know, we know Mike Brown doesn't like paying people. And uh, we, we may not re-sign Carlos Dunlap, actually, you know, after this season. Um, just because he want, he may want too much money, and Mike Brown does not believe in, in giving that much money. Um, he does not believe in sowing and reaping. No, he doesn't. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I mean, Hubbard is one of the guys I'm most excited about. I think Texas linebacker uh, Malik Jefferson, I, I, yeah. I think he's pretty good. Um, that's a pretty good pickup um, to add to our linebacking core. 
And some of these other guys, honestly, you know, I've seen some a little bit on um, on uh, Devontae Harris and um, and Darius Phillips, both, you know, kind of DBs. You know, we'll kind of see what goes on from there. Um, and then the receiver uh, that we took, uh, Lazit, uh, Auden Tate, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, I mean, I give us a, a, a B minus. You know, we definitely got uh, Cordy Glenn and, and Billy Price to help on our line. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the issue for me is is still going to be the, the playmaking ability of Andy Dalton. I love Joe Mixon a lot. Um, but will Andy Dalton be able to make plays? Um, and will our receivers outside of A.J. Green really step up? Um, so, I mean, nothing to be, like, uber excited about. Um, but definitely some areas where I'm like, okay, this, this definitely could be interesting. All right. So let's talk about some other um... – some other uh, teams you th- thought had good drafts or interesting picks. Um, I'll start off. I was really impressed with Ozzie Newsom's draft. Yes. Um, getting Hayden Hurst in the first round, really good tight end from South Carolina, able to trade up. Well, actually, they traded down twice to get Hayden Hurst and then traded up to get Lamar Jackson, who we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast. They were able to get um, a couple more Sooners, Orlando Brown, offensive tackle, and then Mark Andrews, uh, the tight end from Oklahoma, who was really good for them last year, kind of in that line of of a uh, of of tight ends that have come from there lately. I really like their draft, and then my my other team to look at is uh, I really like Denver um, getting their hands on Bradley Chubb, mm-hmm. um, and even getting. I mean, they've got some good names. They got Cortland Sutton in the second round. A lot of yep. a lot of teams and evaluators had him as a first round pick. Royce Freeman from Oregon. Um, and then in the fourth round, um, they were able to get Deshaun Hamilton from Penn State. And uh, in the fifth round, Troy Fumagalla from Wisconsin. Um, they've really they're refortified the defense, but also got some good young playmakers on offense um, that that team could, could, could put together another run here in the postseason. So uh, what other teams or picks are you guys looking at from last weekend's draft? Um. It might be obvious, but I'm going to go ahead and say uh, the Giants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. New York did some good work, uh, particularly, you know, of course, taking Saquon Barkley at two. Uh, but Will Hernandez is a name that was getting a lot of a lot of talk. Um, yeah. You know, so I think uh, beefing that up, whatever their quarterback situation may be for the future, um, you know, I think they got some, some pieces in place to bolster up their offense. Um, even in the meantime, something to hand off uh, to the to the next man up. So I'll be on the lookout for that. Um, you know, aside from that, I think uh, the Colts had a strong. Actually, no, the Ravens is going to be my other team. But you already said that, so I'll rest there. <laughs> um, I honestly, like I think some people are kind of downplaying the Cardinals, um, but I do mm. like the fact that they got Josh Rosen, yeah. and then they got Christian Kirk, um, who I think is a, you know, a very good, or a, he has the potential to be uh, a very good receiver, you know, so of course with Carson Palmer being done, um, you know, they, they get a quarterback, and they get Christian Kirk, so that can kind of help um, with, you know, of course with uh, Larry Fitzgerald, and you know, they just they had some some offensive issues, of course, last year. But um, I, I liked what they did um, for the most part, um, and I definitely agree with your sentiments, Malcolm. With uh, with the Ravens, I think that they 
Um, and it's scary that they're in my division. So, um, of course, I'm, I'm not looking forward to that at all. Um, but, I mean, w- what a way for him to go out for the Ravens. You know, what a way uh, for him to go out. So, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the, the Cardinals was, was one for me and, um, and definitely. I, I mean, and I, I kind of liked what the Bears did, too. Um, yeah, get, get Roquan, Roquan Smith, I think, is going to be a stud linebacker um, yeah. in the league. You know, they, they got some help on the offensive line. Uh, they got two receivers. They got Anthony Miller um, from Memphis, who I didn't see a ton of film on him. But, you know, ex- some experts believe he's going to be pretty good. So um, some some have them ranked in the top 10 with their draft. So uh, mm-hmm. those are some ones that stood out to me, though. I'm interested to see what Buffalo does. Yeah. Um, and they they had a pretty strong draft too, but the Josh Allen AJ McCarron uh, situation is is an interesting one. Yes, it is. So I'm uh, I mean I don't know if if they've I haven't heard word that they've officially named AJ as a starter, or if they're gonna have them battle it out in camp. They might as well just let them battle it out in camp, honestly. Well, yeah, I mean I kind of see that being the same issue as I was talking about that the Browns had. With uh, with throwing the guy right into the fire, and yep. if if Josh Allen wins that quarterback battle, kind of defeats the purpose of having AJ McCarron there anyway. But ah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, one other thing I will say is that even though you know um, Elena, you know, some of their other picks, you know, after Calvin Ridley may just be okay or whatnot. I think it could be very scary to see. A, a receiving core of Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu, and Calvin Ridley. Um, yeah. That could be an, a nightmare. Um, so, I mean, I think some some experts were saying that, you know, Calvin dropped so, so, you know, so much because of his strength. They're worried about, you know, his strength as a pro receiver. Um, but I think he definitely has the the agility, the speed, the, the route running abilities to make um, – them a nightmare. So Matt Ryan definitely should have some fun this year if he can stay healthy. Yeah, I was I was really surprised to see him fall. We were in the group text, and every pick that was coming up, I kept thinking, okay, they're going to take Ridley, and teams kept <laughs> passing on him. And I was I was really surprised. Atlanta got a good one. Yep. Um, as long as everyone stays healthy and and they can get uh, kind of move the ball around to the different guys, I think they've got to really once again. I mean, they already had a good offense, but this yep. could uh, raise them up even another level. Yep. Um, so the last uh, big thing we'll talk about is uh, we, we mentioned Lamar Jackson earlier, um, former Heisman Trophy winner uh, from not this past year, but the year before that had some decent teams at Louisville, not great teams. Um, and he was kind of a guy that was rising late in draft boards early on. A lot of people didn't think he was worthy of a first or second round pick. So we're going to talk a little bit about um the black quarterback in the NFL and is there still a stigma attached um, to them? And we're going to talk about specifically Lamar Jackson, but we could bring up other examples as well. But do you guys feel like um, kind of that stigma surrounding black quarterbacks, did that affect Lamar Jackson's stock? Um, let me say this. Um, I don't think so. Um, I think there was a genuine concern with you know what Jackson was really going to be able to bring especially because you know in college he he just ran all over teams 
run, 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 run. Now, of course, his passing numbers were, were decent as well. Um, but I had very, I had a lot of concerns, honestly, myself as to, you know, what, um, what he was going to be able to do at the pro level. Um, I don't think he was, he was, you know, like a Cam Newton who, you know, of course, Cam has this size. Um, Cam, I mean, Cam, I think had a, a better package. Um, and even, you know, um, let's see who else came out recently. Um, I mean, you know, guys like Bridgewater and um, let's see, Geno Smith. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, those guys were, I think they were just better, you know, passers than Lamar Jackson was. Now, Lamar has the the uncanny ability to escape, but I think, I do think that it was a, can this guy really stay in the pocket and make solid throws for an entire game? That's the question I had, honestly, and I can't blame them if that was the question. So I can't necessarily say if um, 100% that it was because, you know, he's a black quarterback. Um, I honestly, if I was a, you know, now, of course, I didn't really watch him throw at the, uh, did he even throw at the combine? I don't remember. I know he didn't run. Right. Um, right. I think he threw. I think he threw. I think he threw at the combine. Okay. Um, So I would have really paid very, very close attention to, his accuracy um, in the pocket, because um, that's that was my number one thing. You know, of course, you know, um, of course, we know he can escape. That's that's no question. Mm-hmm. But can he? Baker Mayfield had had an accuracy that was especially on the run. This guy can make throws, um, yeah. and the Browns the Browns recognized that. Lamar Jackson, um, it, it was questionable. So I can't necessarily say for sure. I don't know if you guys agree or not, but I can't necessarily say so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was uh, I was contemplating this question kind of tough because um, although you do have the uh, the differences in you know certain statistics, which yeah, you look at things like yards. Um, um, I'm sorry, uh, accuracy. You know, as far as his completion percentages and things like that, you look at things like uh, adjusted passing yards, and yeah, you compare him, you know, to the Baker Mayfields of the world and things like that. You can obviously see the difference, um, where you know even uh, Lamar was sitting at about eight or nine, Baker was at about twelve, thirteen. But then you get guys like Josh Rosen, whose adjusted yards per attempt was eight point five. And so, you know, you, you get these guys who are on par, has a Heisman under his belt, um, was, I mean, was a, a certifiable problem and a dual threat. Like, yeah, yeah you know, of course there was the, uh, there was a passing attack, but he was a viable passing threat as well. And, um, you know, I think my, my, my alarm, or I guess my surprise was more so that all throughout this draft process, um, and leading up to, you heard those four names, Mayfield, Rosen, Allen, um, Darnold, but you did not hear uh, uh, Lamar in the in the conversation. Sure. Uh, even even as far back as, you know, teams asking him if he was going to try out as a, as a wide receiver. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so it's, it, I'm, I, I understand that it may not be so much of a racial thing as it is um, the dual threat. Uh, stigma that's really come. I mean, and this that's for white guys, black guys. There was a lot of question about Johnny Manziel. 
who was who had mm-hmm. a, a, a strong inclination to scramble uh, while he was in college. But mm-hmm. um, I think just knowing how these kind of things go as far as race goes, um, you have to kind of suppress your, oh, I'm just going to hope for the best that race wasn't an issue in it because why wouldn't he have been in the conversation? And I, I think that's, that's, my, that's my legit question is what is, you know, what is the criteria uh, to be in that conversation of top quarterbacks and what, what box did he not check? I mean, I, I, I mean, Lamar Jackson is a incredible football player. We saw it in his time with Heisman Trophy year, and we saw it in in spurts this past year. But the biggest knock on him, even at the college level, was some of the passing from the pocket and accuracy things. You saw it when the windows were a little bit tighter. He couldn't quite fit the ball in where he needed to, and had some accuracy issues on those shorter throws. Um, obviously that's something that you can develop. He has the arm strength. He has athleticism. Um, he even worked primarily from a pro type system. Maybe it wasn't a pure, um, pro style system, but Bobby Petrino does give, uh, NFL concepts to his quarterbacks. So you don't really worry about that piece of it. Um, and when you look at this draft, no other black quarterback was even taken, um, and then Thank this you, was, Garrett. I mean, you look at this, you look at this, well, I was Gary to bring him up. You look at this class and it's a pretty weak class. I would think that you may have seen a little bit more of the stigma of a black quarterback with JT Barrett, yeah. um, a quarterback who was highly, highly successful and decorated as a, as a college player, national champion. Um, I believe he's the Big Ten's all-time leader in, in most, if not all of the passing categories. And you're trying to tell me that Logan Woodside from Toledo Alex McGuff from Florida International, Danny Etling from LSU, Tanner Lee of Nebraska and Tulane are better than JT Barrett and deserve to be drafted. That's a hard, no matter what kind of um, scrutiny you have put JT under, it is really hard for me to imagine a world where Tanner Lee deserves to get picked and JT JT Barrett doesn't. Um, Well, I mean, Malcolm, I would agree with you. However... um... Um, JT's like accuracy with his arm, especially the his his last few seasons, was really really bad. Um, he made plays, yes, he did. Um, but me being a Buckeye fan that watched this guy play, I was just like, my goodness, JT, um, what is going on? Um. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, I didn't see the film on some of those other players and all of that, but his his ability just to stand in the pocket and make accurate throws was not good. I'll save, I'll save you the time of watching the film. Tanner Lee is garbage. Danny Edling <laughs> from LSU is garbage. Alex McGuff from International. I don't even know if they have film on him. Logan Woodside from Toledo. I've actually heard of him, and he is okay for the Mac. But none of these guys have played on the same stage as JT Barrett. None of them have put up the numbers that he has. And none of them is, is as accomplished as, as he is. So for someone to tell me, if for the Jacksonville Jaguars to say, we're looking at our draft board, Tanner Lee, who has not won at any level he's played on, hasn't had any kind of decent success, even statistically, and you're basing this off, he's six foot four and has a strong arm. To me, that looks more like the stigma of a black quarterback than mm. Lamar Jackson. 
because JT JT Barrett at a minimum deserves a, a shot. Tanner Lee at a minimum deserves to go home and go <laughs> I, play I go play in the CFL. <laughs> go play in the UFL. But I mean, if I if I have a choice, I'm not putting stock in JT Barrett either. No that way. Hurts to say, but there were times, you know, after that whole interesting season when. Uh, uh, who was that? Braxton went down. He went down, and Cardell Jones, Cardell Jones to the championship. JT Barrett came back, and everybody was expecting a phenomena. Like everybody was expecting <laughs> him to take the reins and to do something incredible. And there were times JT Barrett just looked broken. Urban mm-hmm. Meyer couldn't figure out what to do with him. It seemed like no matter what the game plan, we weren't in game. I mean, we were we were barely winning games that we should not have struggled in at all. Um, he couldn't trust to put the ball in JT's hands for him to throw it more than 10 yards. And so I, I think maybe reliability and how much upside a guy has might come into question. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be fair on this, you know, because I, I do understand because uh, JT ran a lot as well. And so – you have the dual quarterback, you know, the, the, the scrambler, in addition to inconsistent, in addition to not having uh, the prototypical height and, and size advantages of, you know, a quarterback that you would want to put out there. I, I can understand JT a little bit more than Lamar Jackson. Tanner Lee, by the way, if you guys are curious, three and nine his first year as a quarterback, three and six his second year, four and eight his junior year. Total statistics, 46 touchdowns, 37 interceptions. Mm. Career record of 10 and 23. What, what are, what, how, how sway? How does this, how does, look, this is a really weird position for me to be in, by the way. I'm not Ohio State fan, and I don't, don't like defending Ohio State. But if we're talking about the stigma of the black quarterback, and we're looking at a six foot four white guy who's won 10 games in four, in four years of college football, and whose assist to, I mean, assist, his uh, touchdown interception ratio is absolutely horrendous. And he gets drafted in the sixth round, and JT Barrett doesn't get drafted. That boggles my mind. I'm, I, first of all, I'm not taking any flyer on Tanner Lee for any reason. Well, I agree with you. I'm not well, saying I disagree. But. Yeah, well, at least JT got picked up, and he's got a little deal with the Saints right now, so, you know. This is about equal rights, Keith. This is I, injustice. I get it. I get it. I'm not I watching, watching football. No, I'm kidding. Oh yeah, um, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I think there's still an issue with this going forward, and it'll be interesting to see, especially in light of the Colin Kaepernick things. Hashtag oh. free cap. Um, how this kind of plays out. I'm I'm rooting for Lamar Jackson. I think Baltimore is a good situation for him to to sit, learn. He's got a good offensive coordinator, Marty Morningwig, who's going to help him develop and learn the system, who helped get uh, Mike Vick back on his feet after he came out of prison. So I'm really looking forward to seeing um, over the next couple years how he develops and and hopefully becomes the face of that uh, Ravens franchise. Hopefully. we, We are short on time, but... Of course, we're not going to leave you guys without giving you our parting words. So, Keith, let's start out with you. What are your parting words for the people? Hey, shout out to uh, Shaquem Griffin, who is now uh, playing with the Seattle Seahawks with his brother. Uh, I was extremely, extremely excited um, for him. Uh, I mean, it is just amazing 
uh, to see how his brother came out a year before him. And it all just works out for him to, 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 to play with his brother again um, uh, for Pete Carroll and that defense. So I, that, it was kind of like a touching type of story. Um, you know, the first, uh, I believe they said the first uh, one-armed uh, player to, you know, be drafted. So I am extremely excited for him. And I'm really hoping that he, uh, that he balls out for sure. Yeah. Ian, your parting words. My parting words are a, it's a letter to Greg Popovich. Um, Pop, we love you. Um, still praying for, you know, our condolences to Pop and the, and the loss of his wife. Um, I, I appreciate seeing how the league responded to that. This is not my not my parting words, but I got to say, I appreciate seeing how the league responded to it. Um, yep. The fact that it is a brotherhood and people rallied around. And uh, Pop missing the rest of the playoffs says a lot. And so uh definitely hope that, um, you know, that's a healthy morning, as that's always, that, that's got to be tough. Absolutely. Um, if and when he comes back to basketball, or maybe I'll just address this to R.C. Buford. Listen. Kawhi is, I don't know, maybe he's crazy in the head. He's clearly getting some terrible advice from some people, whatever. If you're going to deal him, which you should, because I don't know how your players are going to respond to him back in the locker room. Please. <laughs> They're they going to suck it up because he's the best player on the team. That's what they're going to do. <laughs> they, I mean, they might try. I don't, I don't think, yeah, I don't know. But if you're going to deal him, please. Please, either the Indiana Pacers or the Washington Wizards. A four-headed monster like that in the Eastern Conference with Boston yes. Philly and a LeBron-led Cavs would just, ah, it would make my day. So, uh, listen, RC, you know, I don't know what you got to do. Bust out the uh, ESPN trade engine, the trade machine, and, uh, you know, make it happen. How you guys crush the numbers? Wow. Um, my parting words, um, my parting words, this is going to seem really weird to start off with, but it's going to make sense. Mike Brown, um, former Cavs coach twice, former Lakers coach and, uh, current, um, Golden State Warriors assistants. I don't know what he has on NFL ownership and front offices that he keeps getting considered for head coaching jobs. Um, but I want to be like him when I grow up. I want to get jobs, just get jobs with no real reason why. Is he on the um, short list? He was the last person to interview for the next job. Oh, God. Uh, so, you know what? Mike, shout out to you, Mike Brown, because you keep cashing checks. Um, I'm not sure how good of a coach you are, and that situation in New York, I think, is a train wreck. Um. But hey, you know, shout out to you, Mike. You're doing your thing. Uh, I can you do text me, text me, and help me to understand, because I want to do. I I would love to figure out how you are able to do what you do and get these jobs. It's the smiley squinty combo. Is that <laughs> you know? Mike, Mike I, Brown better stay his behind, right in Golden State, win him a few rings. And and go out because that's the only way he getting rings. Let me just tell you that much. <laughs> collect those rings. Right, he better just collect yeah. them for real. Collect, collect them rings. 
rings. All right, y'all. Uh, thank you for listening to another episode of Three and One Podcast. Joining us from Cincinnati, Ohio, it's Keith Turner Jr. Hey. And from Cleveland, Ohio, it's International Ian Lamont Morgan. Peace, peace, love, and soul. And it's your boy from the capital city. You know who it is. It's Malcolm Morgan. Thank you guys for listening to the 3-in-1 podcast. We'll see you all next time. Mm-hmm.